strengthening this new behavior to the point where your brain chooses it by default. Hi and welcome to another Big Sweat episode of the Sprout Sweater. As you know, if you've been a listener for a while, the Big Sweat episode is a longer episode where I interview a victim, sorry, an expert in a particular field of um, self-development, um, psychology, that kind of thing. And today I have the privilege of having Dr. Linda Shaw with me. Hi, Linda, how are you doing? I'm good, Dave. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you. I'm good. We finally managed to do this interview because I know last time I messed up on the timing. So apologies for messing you about last time. No worries. Great. Um, so anyway, just before we crack on into sort of picking your brains, what do you want to just tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. I've got a doctorate in neuroscience, um, cognitive neuroscience. I've got a back- background in business psychology, and I've also owned three businesses. So um, I sort of understand the academic side and the human side and the uh, challenging side of the business world um, in terms of um, my my. My biggest business, I had a 20 staff, so it's not that big compared to many other people, but it, it was very, I thought it was very grown up at the time. So, um, so therefore I, I was, I was running the place, um, which meant that I had to learn on my feet an awful lot of things. And I learned my mistakes too, of course. And those mistakes tend to stick. Those learnings tend to stick, don't they, when they're painful? Um, so yeah, I, I've, I've learned the hard way and I understand academically how things go on. And I am, I mainly now talked to to large corporations and smaller enterprises about embracing change in terms of, of people's behavior, not in terms of processes and systems. That's not me. I'm all about how, how the brain changes behavior and behavior changes the brain. And when we can actually plug into that and understand it better, we are in more control over our destiny and our behavior, not in complete control, of course, because that would be crazy, but in more control than we actually realize. And we see big differences. Yeah, cool. Well, that's, thank you for that. It's a great um, show. It's a great bit of experience. And I like the way that you, you're talking about that you've got the research base and the academic, but actually applying it as well in the, I guess, the real world, which is which is kind of um, the real challenge, isn't it? And how we interpret this so we can understand it in our day to day lives. And for me, that's the point of the, the sprout sweater, I guess, is what can we take out of that the research and the knowledge that we have to translate into our day to day lives? And for my myself, because I'm, I'm interviewing you selfishly as well as for my listeners, is what can what can we learn from your your experience and expertise in how we can make those behaviour changes? You know, it kind of mitigates the unhelpful behaviours or thinking patterns and introduce new habits, um, helpful routines, rituals, that kind of thing that can stick. Because one of the things I find with um, with myself, but also people I coach and just generally in life is it's all very well having an idea and an, a, a goal then coming up with some tactics is probably one of the easier parts but then how do you make those tactics routines and rituals stick and ha- happen first and then stick you know in terms of building them into effective habits so um, I guess that's a good place to start what, what what have you learned generally and then we'll sort of drill down a bit in terms of behavior change i know you're talking about the context of businesses changing and the the impact on humans but if we're looking at from an individual perspective if i want to change my behavior to achieve a goal whether it's to exercise more to drink less to um eat the right stuff what what would be some initial thoughts the first thing to do the, the, the very first step is the toughest step 
And that's identifying a habit that no longer serves you. Right, yeah. Right. So therefore, what the brain does is because it does such a lot, it's exposed to this cacophony of stimuli all the time. There's just masses of it. What it what it does is it actually tries to get everything into unconscious processing as quickly as possible, which is why we've got heuristics and the byproduct of that is unconscious bias, which is why we have habits, because they're automatic, although they are under our conscious control when we bring them to conscious awareness, and that's the key. So therefore, when we um, uh, uh, things are not going well, we have to sit down and really think to ourselves, well, what the hell am I doing? What is it that's not working? And you've got to really, and it takes some thinking. It takes, it takes a lot. And you start to think, you think, you think, and then it dawns on you. Oh, I've got this habit of doing la and, um, it's not working. I can see it's not working. So that's the tough bit is identifying that habit, that thing you do in unconscious processing. So now it's in your conscious mind. And now rather than stop doing it, it is far better to replace it. So you replace that, you replace a a habit that no longer serves you with a new behavior. And the only way you're going to repeat that behavior, which is what you need to do to make it a new habit, is the only way you're going to repeat that behavior, or mostly the only way you're going to repeat that behavior, is by making it a pleasure. So that new, you've got to be stimulating the reward circuitry in the brain, the dopamine and all of those juicy things. We need to be, we need to be stimulating those because if we then re- replace that, that habit with a new behavior, um, and then we like it, we think, Oh, I'll do that again tomorrow because it was good. I felt good doing it. And then, and then we repeat it and we repeat it. And then it becomes a new neural pathway. Then it becomes a stronger neural pathway. And all that lovely myelin lays down on, on that pathway and makes it lovely and greasy, which means the electrical impulses fly across much more readily and more easily, which means that the brain will then go to by default to that new behavior because it's become a new habit. It will default to the old habit if, if that, that is a habit that has been used far more than the new one. So the idea is to keep using the new one over and over again to strengthen that connection, which means that the brain will go by default because it's looking all, all the time to do things quickly, looking things to do quick, can't think about that, let's move on. So um, therefore, it's, you've got to be strengthening this new new behavior to the point where your brain chooses it by default yeah cool right so there's a lot in there that i wanted to i want to pick up on that last bit i'll come back to um in how we can do that but i guess the first thing you mentioned was this uh, this concept that the brain wants to try to shift things (laughs) into the unconscious processes um I guess that's because there's, there's such a lot going on. It's it's too much for the conscious brain to manage and it, you know to juggle all of that. Is that fair? Absolutely right. Our um, our conscious processing um, is minuscule. I, I mean, like a pinprick on an A4 sheet of paper, right. and the rest of it is unconscious processing. Okay, so there's an we unconsciously we do a huge amount, and there's an awful lot going on there. And that is what that we need to um, any activity we're doing needs to be put in that automatic processing. Conscious processing in this context basically means you're paying attention and our attention span is very, very short. Um, it's no, sorry, I correct that. As I tell people, this is this is actually hacking me off a bit. Our attention span is not getting shorter, but our attention by default is a very t- tiny process compared to everything else we do. 
Yeah. So therefore, um, we, we really do need to get most things done um, without our attention. Um, because then we're, you know, we're, we're working on like driving a car, we're doing everything, you know, there's so much we do. And we, everything around us, the room you're sitting in, it's just everything is visually, sounds, all of it is just a massive amount of information. But you're only attending to a tiny bit at any one time. And that is what we have to consider when it comes to habits. Yeah. So now, now you, that, that's a good point. I love the idea of it being a pinprick on a full piece of paper, that that kind of puts it in the context that the vast, vast majority of our day-to-day life and behavior is through unconscious processes, habits, rituals, routines. You mentioned heuristics, which is a word I'm familiar with, but would you mind just defining that just for those who aren't that familiar with that word? Sure. Heuristics just basically be shortcuts. Right. So if I'm, if I'm looking at an animal, it's got four legs, a tail, um, and it's a bit, a bit, a few couple of whiskers, I think it's a dog. Okay. Relegate that dog. But, or, but of course it could be a cat. Mm. So I have now um, relegated that into this shortcut. Okay, it's got. The, I've, I've looked at the categories. I've looked at labelled it. I've parked it in my unconscious processing. Now, if we um, if we, we we do that all the time, and um, I have to say, well, one of the side effects of that is our unconscious biases. So therefore, um, I have now a bias towards a, a dog, and I didn't think of a cat, for instance, uh, but actually it could easily be a cat. So I, I have, I have labeled that, um, uh, that creature incorrectly, and therefore I've behaved differently and, um, and inappropriately. And of course, we understand, we all understand what unconscious bias is and how, how painful and socially unacceptable it is if we, if we are, uh, we discriminate against people because of our unconscious biases. But that is a side effect of heuristics. However, there is something I do want to say is that unconscious bias is normal. We all have it, okay? The only people on this planet who don't have unconscious bias are dead people. Right. So, so therefore, it, it doesn't make us bad people. What makes us, what makes us it, is unacceptable is if we allow those things to happen and we, so we need to bring them to our conscious awareness and, and not be unkind, cruel, or indeed um, not just, not just in yeah. the way we treat people. So yeah. that's that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's, a, that's a, a good way to look at it is the sense that, and, and it harked back to your first sort of explanation around the habits and, and I guess whether it a, potentially could cause harm or discrimination, et cetera, to somebody else in another situation, but also to yourself, does it serve you? And that was that, I think, you know, that, that kind of idea of identifying a habit or a heuristic or something. And I guess the whole the question in terms of behaviour change is: this helping you move to where you want to be, or to live the life you want to live, or is it getting in the way? And if it's getting in the way, as you say, trying to identify that is is the first challenge. Is there anything in terms of that from from your experience you say, of how that might any processes or practices that can really help with that becoming aware, you know, checking in on them or the the, the best thing to do is sit down quietly and think. Um, okay, the, that is, you've really got to concentrate and, and think. However, there is a, a rather delicious state that we're naturally in that you can encourage during the day. And that is when we put the brain in alpha frequency. Now, the brain alpha frequency is when we just wake up in the morning and we're not half, we're half awake and half asleep. You know, that sort of limbo land a bit. That is when the brain is in alpha 
Um, and that is when we come up with our creative ideas. We can fix the world if we stay in bed that little bit longer in the morning. If you notice your ideas will come to you then, they might come to you in the shower. They might come to you when you're staring out of the window watching the rainfall. It is when we get our, our brain frequency slowed down enough, we become more creative and more innovative and we come up with answers and ideas. So if we are stuck trying to identify what no longer serves us by concentrating, then perhaps the next move might be to stare out of that window um, and just let let your mind wander. I mean, I can remember at school being told off for staring out of the window. I'm going, no, now I know it's a brilliant thing to do, stare away. You know, so, um, I, I, t- so t- you can deliberately do that. Um, and so you can allow um, your unconscious to work things out for you and it comes to your, your attention. Um, that, so that's a, that's a rather a delicious way of doing things without stressing yourself out. So can, can I pick up on that then? Because I think that's an interesting thing. It's certainly something I've experienced in my well, business life, but life in general, um, you've, you're kind of describing two states. One is the, a, a kind of a deliberate effort to think and work through and, and just consider, I guess, for want of a better word, versus another state where you kind of just say, okay, down tools, down the thinking tools, and let, yeah, let your head go off and do what it wants. Yeah. Um, and that's more the alpha state. Is that what you're kind of describing there? That's right. Um, and both have a place potentially in this in this process of being more self-aware. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, we have got so many delicious tools that we can tap into in our brain. <laughs> and we, we tend not to think in terms of deliberate choice. We tend to think that we are at the mercy of so many forces. Um, and of course, there are certain things that we can't, we can't control and we can't um, feel um, that we are shaping for our benefit or the benefit of our family and loved ones. Um, but nevertheless, we can do more than we realize. So if you can, if you can, if you're going to um, think of something and make a deliberate choice about it, that is when you feel in a little bit more control over your life and your destiny. And it's that tapping into how to, um, first of all, make that deliberate choice and then make sure that it's the right one. So that, that which is quite interesting, because that actually means what we need to do is be prepared, prepared to reevaluate, re- recalibrate and keep changing. So it is that this is what I core of my work. It's helping people make deliberate choices to wire their brain to the way they want to, because we rewire our brain all the time. But we often rewire our brain um, without conscious control of it. But we can actually do something about that. I've prattled on a bit there, haven't I, Dave? No, that- that's, uh, no, that's really fascinating. It's something I want to pick up on, Ben, because you mentioned something about the choice, <laughs> making a deliberate choice, but then checking that it's the right one. Yeah. And I think that's a challenge, particularly where, if, we're, if we're talking about this idea of, look, I, I want to change something. How often is it, and I'm kind of speaking from experience of myself and working with others, but often myself, is that I... I identify a problem or a thing that I want to change, a goal that I want to achieve. And I will, my, my brain, I don't know, it's because I'm an ex-police officer, it was always about solutions focus, is to go, right, like, how, do, what do I do? What can I do to sort this out? And I will deliberately think and work through consciously some options and this, that, and the other and come up with a plan. And that's practiced, it's deliberate and very conscious, I guess. And if I was to stay in that, play, or to keep it at that level, 
I could be reasonably confident or misguided potentially, you know, because I don't know if I'm right or wrong, that I've because because I've got a plan and some solutions and some action that it's the right thing to do. And then I can embark on that plan. However, how do I check in on that to make sure that it isn't just same old, same old? I mean, you know, if you work with um, people who are trying to get fit or healthy or lose weight, then often it will, that what will be is, well, I'll just go back to Weight Watchers, other diet things are available, but you know what I mean? I'll go back to what what I tried before. And that might be a reasonable approach. You know, there might be reasons why, you know, it, they've dropped off the wagon or whatever in the past. Or it might be that we need a new creative kind of thought or idea or way of thinking about it, seeing it, or something just to come in from somebody else, perhaps. So I guess... I'm kind of rambling on here myself now in terms of saying you've got that conscious process, but I guess one of the things I've learned over the last few years is that not to over-engineer the solution and at some point to leave it almost unfinished and to go for a walk or, as you say, go for a shower. And me being the person who has to finish, the perfectionist, there's been a challenge to learn that habit, but to get comfortable leaving it and just seeing what comes into my head as I'm out for that walk. And the times I've found that I've come up with a totally different perspective or I've realized that I've solved in the wrong problem, <laughs> you know, because of that. So, you know, it's that for me, it's seeing that combination of the two that you're describing there. I don't know. How does that fit into your experiences? No, that's absolutely spot on. Basically, um, we, you know, if you, if you are consciously aware of a goal that you want to achieve and then you set about the, the steps to achieve that goal, that's fabulous absolutely nothing wrong with that. What you have demonstrated by what you just said is that you are prepared to then let your mind wander by going for that walk, going for that share, whatever it is, to check to see if that's actually worth doing, whether you want to do it. I mean, how many goals do we set? When we get there, we think, what was that about? Why did I bother? (laughs) You know, what really, why did I bother to do that? Because that's not what I thought it was going to be like. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so you, so you put all that effort in, all that energy, all of that money, all of that investment of your time, or, you know, whatever, um, to achieve that. And when you get there, you think, well, what, what, what was all the fuss about? <laughs> so, what, so basically, if you are there for, you have done that deliberate choice thing, uh, which, which you've identified, and then you go for that walk and you've let your mind wander and the creativity and the innovation comes about, you can then double check on yourself thinking well do I maybe that's not what I want anyway yeah um, you know but the key there the absolute key is to be prepared to admit it <laughs> yeah yeah. Right? yeah because that means a lot of us in our culture think that's failure mm. it's not it's not failure nobody cares anyway nobody's watching nobody's looking you know they're all too busy um but you know you just look at it and you think nah don't want to do that and so you change. Um, that's great. Nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with that because you've started with a deliberate choice. You've gone through the process that you might, might have read in a book to actually to get to the point. And then you give yourself a break and go for that walk. Check in on yourself. Check in on how you feel. Check in on your innovative thinking. Um, and then you think, nope. Let's do just something a bit different. And you still you start with a blank sheet of paper again and you rethink it. Um, and I, I'm a great, great um, supporter of that, that because we life is so short and goes so quickly. We don't want to waste it on stuff that's a, good, that's a nonsense, do we? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. Uh, the, 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 you mentioned there about I didn't this isn't even what I want. 
And I think sometimes that can be um, having having been well, still am, I guess, a very driven person in in, in some senses. Uh, and knowing a lot of people like that is that you can get into it and you will drive yourself to that place irrespective of it and, and probably not even allow yourself the luxury of questioning whether it's the right thing. Yeah, and because questioning that- could be a way, sorry, didn't interrupt, but questioning could be a way of almost in, in the story you tell yourself of, oh, well, I'm just trying to get out of it. But actually it may be something nagging away saying, is this what you want? Yeah, I think I think it's really relevant to people who are very capable. Mm. Um, because when you are very capable, there's a lot of things you can do. So therefore, you think that you should be doing them or somebody comes up with this idea, hey, have you thought of doing this? And you go, oh, that's a good idea. Mm. But because you can do it. But do you want to do it? And that's what we tend not to double check ourselves on. Because we can do it, we think we will or mm. should. Or what, you know, it's not necessarily what will make us feel good. Because if we have the choice, okay, now there are plenty of people on this planet who don't have choices. I absolutely recognize that 100%. But if you do have a choice and you're choosing a channel to or an area to channel your energy in a place that is not going to make you feel good and you have a choice not to do that, then actually that's worth double checking. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. And I guess going back to the idea that spotting a habit that isn't serving you. So we were talking about goals there that you're thinking, right, actually, do I want to do that? I think that that process of taking time away to go for a walk is important. But actually, is the benefit in just generally building that process of, day, you know, time, time out, downtime into your days, routines, et cetera, to allow yourself to capture those random thoughts that might be saying, here's a bad habit or here's something because that, that that's happened to me a lot where I've just been taking a random shower and suddenly I've realized I'm doing it again, aren't I? You know, that bad habits come back in a different set of clothes, but it's back. And yeah. it's only when I've stopped or I'm like, as you say, in that alpha state that I've realized, but how many of us are so busy living life full on that we don't create, allow those spaces for that. I actually think we should almost diarize them. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I do. You know, yeah. okay, you know, I'm going for a walk on my own uh for 20 minutes um at a certain time of the day. Or I'm going to reward myself after doing that chunk of work, I'm going out for that walk, or I'm going for another shower. Doesn't matter how many showers you have a day, does it? Um and so you know, you you just you've always got to rather than put the reward in of putting your head in the fridge and see what else you can eat and um putting the kettle on or or, or putting the coffee machine on. Actually go for a, one of those walks or, or let yourself just stare out of the window if it's pouring with rain and just just be, just let it, just let, let your mind wander. Um, I find walking better because I'm better any, at doing mm. and letting my mind wander. Um, uh, yes. But, I, yeah, I absolutely, yeah, I, I, I try to check on my, in on myself on a daily basis several times a day sometimes. Mm, I like that. I like that idea of di- diarising in non-thinking and non-doing time almost. Although you're doing that, that's a good point. I think you mentioned there about you. You you are better at it when you're doing. Yeah. Um, and I think that because how many of us have this story attached to to doing sorry to doing nothing in air quotes as a waste of time as dead time you know rather than it being actually of real value. Yeah, I mean, when we're walking, we're not necessarily putting the brain in alpha state, but you can actually get quite meditative by the rhythm of the steps. Mm. 
the rhythm right. of breathing, which is great. That will help enormously. But yeah, I mean, we to give ourselves time. This is funny, isn't it? There is no nothing. <laughs> There's yeah. nothing. Well, the brain yeah. never does no, never does nothing. It's always doing something. Um, so yeah, let it let it do what it's got to do. We don't have to um, you know have a tight grip on absolutely everything. Um, but be be rest assured that you never do nothing by when people perceive you doing nothing. I love that. That actually goes back to the idea of it being a, a, a pinpoint on an A4 bit of paper. It's kind of in a way pretty arrogant of us i'm speaking very genuinely to think that that pinpoint of consciousness can control all of that and direct all of that which you know it's it just doesn't so why don't we just allow that as you say it's not doing nothing it's actually more than like being doing some very very important stuff um and uh, and even those conscious those thoughts that can pop into your head there might be this little weird person in your head going yeah shove that one into consciousness for them you know and kind of let them let him or her see that one um yeah I like that. So, you know, you mentioned this about the brain not doing nothing. It's always doing something. And you mentioned about the, the formation of the, the, the connections. Would you mind just giving us a kind of a very mini teacher? I'm saying this on neuroscience. Just if you could just give us a quick mini teacher, Linda, that'd be fine. Yeah, just to, right. to explain that a little bit, because I think that is a really, really useful thing to understand about the power of our brain, about the pathways and how that habits can be formed. Yeah, well, basically, of course, I'm talking about neuroplasticity. Yeah. And neuroplasticity, we thought not until till relatively recently that um, the brain we were born with and, and grew by the time we were late teens was the brain that we would keep because it doesn't do that. It rewires constantly. <laughs> so it, it, it rewires depending on our behaviour. It rewires depending on, on what's going on around us in our social environment. It rewires with our thoughts, with our thinking, with our emotional responses to things, with our feelings. So there's top-down, bottom-up processing going on. It, it rewires because of, of genetics. It, it rewires constantly all the time. And we also know, of course, that even DNA and the expression of genetics um, or gene expression means that in actual fact, our brain is rewiring anyway, even at that level. So our brain rewires all the time. Um, and when I talk about it rewiring, what I mean is it's laying down new neural pathways, it's it's forming, um, uh, it's it's growing and, and strengthening and weakening certain synapses. It's um, you are you are creating new neural cells. Um, you're doing you're, the dendrites and the axons are sprouting or they're pruning. All of these things are happening all the time to create these new neural pathways. And when I say we have, we do things with deliberate choice, it means that rather than the environment, the socially, how we shoot from the hip because we've had somebody's really hacked us off and we know we, we're not in control because we're in a state of stress and high anxiety or whatever, all of that rewiring is still going on, but we're not controlling it. And we're not, you know, it's, that's why the deliberate choice is so delicious because if we, we, we as I say, we can't, rewire our brain deliberately all of the time because that would be nonsense we still need our fight or flight mechanisms we still need so much else to keep us safe and keep us well however there are some things that we can change we can change our thought processes we can change our emotional responses to some things by giving ourselves a moment to breathe before we shoot from the hip we can change our environment sometimes by perhaps choosing different kinds of people that we socialize with or indeed um, if somebody is toxic 
toxic, avoiding them, something like that. We can change things more than we realize, and we can certainly change the way we respond. So if we start to change that, we therefore change our behavior towards all of those things, which means that we the brain is rewiring to how we want it to rewire. So if the brain will then affect our behavior better, because we have rewired it better to suit us. So our brain changes our behavior and our behavior changes our brain. It's a constant feedback loop going on all of the time. So if you decide you want to be a better person at something, deliberate choice, be it. Cool. So that deliberate choice, obviously we're talking about how it comes into awareness, that deliberate choice then needs to be followed by something, doesn't it? I guess action or practice or you know repetition so what how do we start to uh, because i'm kind of seeing two sides one is if you don't use it you lose it so the older habit that you maybe want to change you 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 change out so kind of the the is it right that the neural pathways will weaken over time or get less and the new one so possibly wait i'll leave you to explain you you're far better than me yeah if you've got a neural pathway that you no, no longer want uh, are using because it's no longer serving you, a habit that no longer serves you, you've identified it. You therefore use use this new behaviour that you want to become a habit and you repeat it all the time as much as possible. And when that new neural pathway is stronger than the older one, the brain will go to that one by default. The older one doesn't disappear overnight, but it does start to atrophy and it, it does start to disappear. So it will be there for some time. Um, and so therefore, it's very important that you practice this new way of thinking, this new way of responding, this new way of something that is going to help you rewire your brain better. So it's a, it's a good idea. And the best way of all to motivate yourself to do that is through enjoying it, is through pleasure. So you mentioned about um, rather than just stopping doing something, you replace the behaviour with that would you mind just expand on a bit more about that and then we'll build in the, the aspect of making it more enjoyable i think that's a really important part yeah okay well if you um if you decide right i am not going to eat um any more pizza okay you will start thinking about pizza so <laughs> you know it's all about pizza because you've decided to deny yourself something i don't do denial um, in any shape or form. So if I don't deny myself something, instead I will think I'm going to eat that really lovely crunchy salad and I'm going to eat that salad. So therefore I have I have now got this new habit of absolutely loving the salad because there's certain salad ingredients I adore. They make me feel good. They make me feel better. And I want to keep doing that as opposed to eating a stodgy thick pizza with cheese through the crust gunginess and all of that stuff. So um, th- th- therefore you, um, you, if you, if you, if you don't replace the habit, you will just deny the habit and therefore keep thinking about it. So therefore strengthening your desire for it. Right. Okay. Strengthening your desire for something that you don't want is not helpful. <laughs> it's really not helpful. Um, so you, but to therefore desire something else, you stimulate dopamine because that's all about anticipation of reward as well as reward. Mm-hmm. So therefore you get, you feel really good. You get your dopamine kick and you'll repeat it because you start to look forward to it. Oh, great. I'm going to have that salad tomorrow. Um, and you look forward to it and therefore you do it more, you do it more, you do it more. Okay, that makes total sense. I totally get that idea of denial. <laughs> yeah, um, and I'm, I bet many listeners can as well, you know, whether you've embarked on a diet or, um, you know, 
to to not open that bottle of beer on a night, uh, you know, after work, etc. Um, so if we if we're switching it out, what one model that I um I, I'm kind of thinking of in terms of habit is that you've got three parts. So you've got the trigger, the behavior, and the reward. Yep. Aspect. You know, the trigger is the cue or the, the the thing that precedes it. Is that you know as the thing that might prompt you to think about? Oh, now time for you know the classic. It's is you know you finish a meal and you might light up a cigarette if you're a smoker. So you've got the trigger, finishing the meal, the behaviour, and then the reward, I guess, is what you get from that act of the cigarette. So are you talking about, in that point, obviously the triggers, uh, they could be environmental, they could be timing, where you're at, contextual. So you may have less influence over that, although you may have some influence over it, but it's more about the behaviour, switching out that behaviour. The trigger may still be there, finish a meal, yeah. change the behavior but it's got that there's got to be a reward to it is that the pleasure bit that you're talking about yeah that's right um the, the, you're absolutely right you you can actually change the trigger or change the outcome um so therefore you don't have to change just the trigger you can change how you respond to it so um uh, so you can change one or the other you can have a go at changing both um but the point is to motivate us the best way is to make it fun yeah. to make it interesting to satisfy our curiosity that it's a novelty novelty is a guarantee to get attention so therefore you if you if it's a brand new thing and you just think this is really exciting this is really good so all of that stuff um, comes into play um so yeah the, i'm i'm heavily into making life as enjoyable as possible yeah. as we can yeah yeah absolutely i think that's that's a it's a great way to to uh to approach this to think about rather than the negative what you're denying how you can it's an opportunity to build in something fun um i, I kind of lost the thread of a question i was going to ask there um what was it um, anyway i'll I, i've no doubt it'll, it'll come back oh that was it in terms of this then what's the thinking on how long it can take because i know it's i guess it's a bit of a how long is a piece of string but what is the current thinking because there are myths around how long it takes to form a habit, et cetera. And so what is, how, how does that generally work? Okay. There are plenty of self-help books. We'll give you 28 days for this, 14 days for that, seven days for this, seven days for that. Let me get, let me just paint a bit of a context here into this. Um, you're coaching someone and you tell them in 28 days, they would have changed that habit. And on day 29, they fail. What does that do to them? Yeah, exactly. It absolutely crush them. Mm. What is the point to that? So I never, ever put a timeline on anything. Mm. I just don't. I just say one day at a time. Yeah. One day at a time. Feel good each day. One day at a time. Don't put a timeline on it. It's not necessary. In fact, I think it's harmful. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I, I think, well, I'm... I totally get that. And I think it's important. And one of the things I often talk about, because I talk about the sprouts, you know, the, the cabbage is maybe the goal and you slice it down into sprout sized chunks, tasks, habits, routines, um, is to focus on just making sure you sweat the sprouts day to day. You know, make that enjoyable, you know, make, but, but just focus less on the result and more on what you're doing in each given day. Track those sprouts and make sure you're doing them. So I guess it's a bit of a leading question, this, but I'm, I'm guessing that. If you're looking at habit change, you don't want to have too many habits to change at once. No, 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 no. Don't overwhelm yourself. 
Never overwhelm. Be kind to yourself. Always be kind to yourself. You're, You're a really good person. There are many truly evil people in this world. Most people are really decent human beings. So um, um, don't beat yourself up, you know, don't ever, ever beat yourself up. So one thing at a time, one thing at a time, nail it, move on. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And that t- that's the idea as well of take it, trying to take off a deadline or an idea that it'll be achieved by then. But if we see it as just an ongoing process of us embedding a habit, then maybe building on with that, we can kind of spread out that all or nothing mindset i don't know i'm definitely all or nothing so i totally get that what what we've got to be careful of is any kind of learned behavior that is um results in a feeling of hopelessness (laughs) right um that feeling of hopelessness is awful dreadful and we set ourselves up for that you know, we really do set ourselves up for that. And that's just nonsense. It's not fair. But as soon as we actually start to achieve one of those things and remember that we have achieved, achieved mm. it and not ignored it as if it's all, you know, it's all oh, that done that, move on. But actually, if we remember and savor it and think, huh, I did that. Then therefore, that learned behavior of any kind of helplessness is actually overridden. And we start to become more confident and more resilient, which will enable us to do more yeah. moving forward. So that's what we, we have to be mindful of um, and, and honestly do. I mean, you know, it sounds awfully crass, but we do have to celebrate our successes and remind ourselves how, what, what brilliant people we are. Yeah, I, that, that's a really important point that, I don't think we can state enough in that the habit change is one part of it, but actually that's serving a bigger purpose of trying to re-establish this sense that I can do this, I can, and I am worth it. Look at how amazing I am to do this because I I, I get what you're saying. I think here we can be our own worst enemy and hardest critic, can't we? And the number of times, I've got loads of evidence of how many times I've failed in the past and I didn't achieve that goal and I dropped, I fell off of the day three of the New Year's resolution and all that kind of thing. Got lots of evidence I can call upon. But if we can just park all of that and come back to the here and now, that one habit's worthwhile changing, but changing the story around it as well. Absolutely. And also, you know, it sounds awfully arrogant, you know, from Victorian times, be seen and not heard. You know, don't don't, don't blow your own trumpet. Don't be cocky. Don't be arrogant. You know, put down, put down, put down. You don't have to be cocky and arrogant to recognise that you are a decent human being. Because one of the best ways of putting the brain in a pleasurable state, which is what we're talking about here, one of the best ways of doing that is through kindness, generosity and altruism. So, you know, we can be really decent people, the human beings we know we are, and it helps us too. Now, some people will say, oh, hang on a minute, Linda, that means there's no such thing as altruism because you're getting something in return. But my answer is I don't care. It's <laughs> yeah. actually a decent human being. Yeah. Um, and, and it's putting my brain in a best state, for, you know, a pleasurable state for me to continue um, being a better person than, than every, on a daily basis. And I'm helping other people as well. That's not cocky. That's not arrogant. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And it's also about recognising you can direct that a little bit towards yourself as well. Yes, Um, totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I guess I'm conscious of time because we've had a great interview and I know you've got to be off shortly, but I guess just on that little note, is there 
I haven't dug into it, but my understanding, you know, this idea of learning to love yourself, it's very, you know, it's a very kind of, I guess, cliched in, in some areas of self-help. Um, but I've always found that really challenging, uh, probably just as a cynical questioning person from, you know, my background, but also for some of us, that that is a hell of a journey to move from hatred, self-hatred to self-love. And actually some of the things that I've, I've picked up is that there is some interesting research and I don't, you know, I haven't dug into it myself around actually learning to exercise some self-compassion may be kind of a, a way to circumvent that or a way to, to, to redirect that. So you're not talking about loving yourself per se. You're talking about exercising compassion, which many of us are able to do towards others, but to direct it to ourselves. Any thoughts on that? I know that's probably, I've sprung that one on you, but it's just a question that occurred to me when we've had that conversation there. No, I think it's a really good point. Um, self-love is a tough call mm. for a lot of people. Um, if they feel they will feel unworthy of such indulgence, self-indulgence, and and <laughs> feeling that um, oh, lots of feelings that could get in the way of that. However, compassion is 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 just key, isn't it? Compassion for others, for differences. Let me let me just give an example. Um, perception, how we perceive ourselves, how we perceive others, how we perceive everything. Our perception is unique. It is our only personal reality. Okay. That's all we have. And that, and so therefore, once we understand perception is unique to each and every individual, because, okay, I'll tell you a mini story. Two women are pregnant. Both women's babies are born, are, are due to be born on exactly the same day. On the second trimester, the, the babies um, in the in the tummies are developing taste buds on their tongue. On this particular day, the first woman is eating cooking apples and her baby is tasting the sour taste of cooking apples is the first perception of a taste through the amniotic fluid. The sec- on the same day, the same time, the other woman is eating chocolate. Her baby is tasting sweet for the first time. The second day, they swap. So now the first lady is eating chocolate and her baby is now perceiving that taste based upon the perception of the sour first. The second woman, the other way around. On the third day, these women are now sharing a bowl of olives. Those two babies' perception of the saltiness of the olives will be different from one another based upon their two experiences so far. By the time those babies are born, their perceptions are this pyramid of of a mathematical, oh, so hard to calculate, of, of, of uh, their perceptions. They could be doing the same thing exactly, but they would evaluate it based on the, the, the experiences so far. By the time we're adults, you can't calculate that. <laughs> so you can see how perception is unique. Now, once we understand perception is unique, it means that we have more compassion and understanding for other people because they're seeing things differently based upon their experiences so far, the mm-hmm. same as us. So when somebody says, oh, I know exactly how you feel. No, they don't. Mm-hmm. Nobody does. Only you know how you feel. And by the same token, you, uh, that you that nobody else knows how you feel and you don't know how they feel. Okay. It, it, we can't. We can only have compassion. We can only have understanding. We can only have empathy. And that is what we need for ourselves. Mm. So basically, when you, everybody's now talking about getting back into restaurants, events, conferences, all of that stuff, and everybody's feeling something different, the key to remember is it's not right, it's not wrong, it just is. Mm. 
everybody's right because that's their story. Mm. That is where they, how they see things. So that's right for them. Mm. So if we understand that for others, we can understand that for ourselves. So it makes it easier to show ourselves compassion. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I love that example as well. I've never heard that, that one. I think that's a brilliant. Yeah, there, there was a bit of poetic license in there, but no, you, no. you get my drift. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> totally get it. And I think it's a, it's, a, it's a great way to bring the conversation to a close that you know, we are all different. There are some common things in terms of how our brain forms habits and we can shift them. But ultimately, that idea of trying to change the, whatever overarching story we have about ourselves and the world around us and other people to one that's more compassionate is going to give that any positive change or growth the right fertilizer or what have you to, to, to help us sustain that and to, to grow and enjoy the process as well, I guess, which is but have fun, as you said before. Well, that's brilliant, Linda. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for the conversation and sharing that. Just uh, I appreciate you have to shoot off, but obviously I want to give you a sh- chance to shout. How can anybody get in touch with you? And I know that you've written a book, haven't you? So do you want to give a shout out for the book as well, just so that people can dig a bit more into your work? Yeah, sure. The brain is called your brain. The book is called Your Brain is Boss. Um, and uh, you can get it on Amazon. Um, you can get hold of me at Linda at drlindashaw.com. That's Linda with a Y, L-Y-N-D-A-S-H-A-W. Or my website is drlindashaw.com. Always happy to chat to anybody who wants to talk about brains or need, needs a bit of help. Brilliant. Thank you, Linda. Thank you for, for your time. And just for everybody out there, the links uh, and the details regarding the book will be in the show notes, as well as a transcript of the podcast. So please feel free to connect with Linda, uh, jump on over the website and get a hold of the book. That would be great. Um, if it's anything like the conversation we've had, then it'll be great. And thank you so much for your time. It's great, really great to dive into the, for me, the nuts and bolts behind what I kind of talk about with clients day to day. So thank you so much. Being brilliant. You're very welcome. Nice to speak to you, Dave. Take care. Cheers. I hope you've enjoyed your flight aboard Sprout One. For show notes and information on how to get the podcast feed direct to your Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or other favorite podcast feed, visit SproutSweater.com. And touchdown.